Hi Chris, how are you? Good evening Rod, I think I'm okay. We've got snow and my new Mac set for the podcast hasn't quite gone to plan, but hey-ho, I think I did everything with good intentions, but I was thwarted at the last minute by continuity camera, but that's enough about me, how are you? I have a cold, my voice might not sound quite right, and hopefully none of the coughing will come over onto the podcast now I've discovered how to mute things properly. You've got snow, that's exciting. Uh, It would be more exciting if there was a lot of snow. There is literally a smattering on the patio table. Yeah, well, we got nothing like that. It has been very cold. Uh, I have a smart heating meter thing, which I had to have for my EV charging plan with uh, my energy supplier. And it's frankly horrifying how quickly that goes up with the heating on during the day. Yeah, you're best not to know, hey? It is. It's it's not. I wake up in the morning when I've charged the car and I feel smug that it cost me, I don't know, £7.20 to charge the car. I'm like, ooh, isn't this good? And then I look down at how much the heating's cost me and I'm like, ooh, isn't this bad? Yeah, heating is scary expensive. Um, I'm lucky in my shed. I have an electric heater and I have solar panels on my house. So hopefully I'm all gravy. But the rest of the house crumbs. I don't want to know what that's costing. A lot. A lot. <laughs> A huge amount of money. Anyway, should we dive into follow-up? No, let's say it's episode 102 for the 8th of January, 2024. Good call, because normally I do that and I've completely forgotten, so my mistake. So now into follow-up. Now to follow-up, and quite appropriately for this episode, we want to talk about a couple of bugs that we've noticed. And, you know, Chris has been suffering through a few of these bugs, or maybe they're not all bugs, maybe it's a failure to give us diagnosing prompts, as with my woes with matter and trying to add things to my home kit and all the rest of it that apple don't give you enough to tell you what's going on with things anymore my current apart from that my current hatred of mac os is when i empty the trash it never stops emptying i just get a continuously animating for hours if i leave it even if there's only one file in there trying to empty the trash i have to stop it i have to relaunch the finder i have to go into the bin i have to delete the items individually out of it uh, and then at that point, it's empty and it's fine. It's one of those things that drives me crazy is having things in my bin. Trash for the American users. They renamed the the, the bin uh, from trash to bin for us international users, I think, two versions ago in macOS. Uh, but it drives me wild. Yeah, it was quite a recent rename, if I remember correctly, because I, I, was, I was surprised they did it because it'd been there for so long. I was amazed they actually renamed it to bin. And I assume they've done it maybe in other countries. So I think we'd all got used to trash. So I have seen that sort of bug before, though, or it just takes an inordinate amount of time to run. Maybe there's some weird command you have to run to flush it, and then it, it sorts itself out. But um, not a problem I've had recently, but I have seen that before. Oh, it drives me crazy. And I even know the terminal f- foo to make it work with through the terminal. That doesn't work either. <laughs> it just... It just sits there hung, so I don't like that. I don't like recommending you blow Macs away unless you've got a very good reason to do so, and I'm loath to do that. This setup has actually been with me for quite a while now through my last three laptops, but this is the first issue that's made me think, hmm, maybe. Maybe, and this is why, and maybe this leads into what I was just talking to you about, was I had a bug where I plugged my laptop into my studio display, and I've got a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse, and nothing happens. I have to open the lid on the laptop, then I log in, then I close the lid on the laptop, and then it wouldn't let me click or do anything, but I could see the mouse pointer. It was very bizarre. And that's what led me to go, actually, do you know what? I've got a spare Mac Mini. It's an it's an Apple Silicon one. I'll bring that down here. I've got a spare screen. I'll set it up on the end of my desk that I don't really use, and I can leave the microphone there and have a dedicated setup. So every Monday, I'd literally just come in the shed and 
crack on and whatever I've been doing on my laptop doesn't matter because I'm not going to use it for recording which is why I think I've had some audio glitching so we'd set all that up and the Mac's all fresh and I'm talking to you on it now but what we couldn't get working was continuity camera for some reason and again there's a lack of any form of error message or any way to invoke continuity cam camera or some incantation I've got to do so we've now resorted to my studio display and as we're talking about it, it looks like the camera on my studio display has stopped so I don't know what is going on with Apple and their camera maybe it's hearing my words go through through the computer and go oh, oh he's talking about the camera let's stop the camera so it's all a bit bizarre so what we've done then is I bought trying to use my phone as continuity camera, which we knew worked. We've tried it before with our laptops. I've even got the right mount, and we're just using the camera built into my studio display, which had solved the problem until about five seconds ago when it paused. So, yeah, we've been having lots of fun and games, haven't we? We have been having one or two. Yeah, it keeps things interesting, doesn't it? Just as we've got a nice sort of vaguely stable working setup with your laptop, we've, we've tried something else, and that's fine. You're moving to a new computer. It looks like you might have continuity camera working now, in fact. Yeah, continuity no. camera is now working. How bizarre. How bizarre. I'm so, going back to the normal camera. Apologies if I've disrupted you. I've got a lovely view of Chris's desk and his Statler pencil that, pencil that was his uh, thing of the week from a few weeks back, so that's quite impressive. Yeah, th this kind of stuff isn't good enough, and as I was getting at, I think there needs to be more steps for resolving what these issues are with things like the cameras. So... If you, if you go through the troubleshooting steps, it's basically turn everything off and on, phone and computer, or sign out of iCloud, which is absolutely the nuclear option as far as I'm concerned. If I've got a sign out of iCloud, things are going to go wrong as far as I'm concerned. And signing back in isn't trivial. Sign into this, use your two-factor for that, agree to it on this device over here. It's it's all a bit of a, a rigmarole, really, so I don't like it very much. No, agreed. And when we were diagnosing it, one of the things was sign out of iCloud. And I was like, I could possibly do it. It's on a Mac I've just set up. But that felt a bit a bit too bow and braces for literally a brand new Mac that hadn't even been used yet. So we've got there in the end. But like I say, my, my thinking was, why don't I just have a Mac just sat quietly in the corner that I wasn't really using and we won't touch it apart from when we want to record and I shouldn't need to do anything with it. But I can see actually why more professional podcasters have a dedicated setup that they don't mess around with because you want to turn up, record, everything to work. You want your microphone in the right place. You want it to sound consistent. And so I can see the appeal of doing it. And I know we only record once a week, but I am fortunate enough to have some spare equipment. So I'm going to make use of it, I think, because I think once we get over this camera hurdle, I think it will be a much better experience for me because I could literally come to my shed, not be in front of my work setup, but go just to the corner to my podcast setup. So I think it will work. I should have, in hindsight, tested the camera more. I tested the the uh, microphone, the Audio Hijack Pro setup, copied all that over, made sure I had the right folder to write to, got all the show notes out, put one password on, so I had all my passwords on it. You know, I thought I'd done all the hoops I needed. Continuity camera, because I don't use it a huge amount, wasn't really on my list. And it is frustrating because the screen I'm using is the LG Ultrafine, but it's the smaller model, and that one didn't have the uh, built-in webcam, whereas the larger 5K model did. I've only got the 4K one, which is about 22-inch screen, which would be perfect for what we want to use it for, but obviously no camera in it. And I think maybe that would have helped if it had a built-in camera. But hey-ho, we're here talking now, and the camera's just disappeared again. So there's obviously something very strange going on here. 
Maybe you're hitting Marco's bugs of the LG Ultra. Fine. Causing an issue in it. The most important thing is the audio, and I think I agree with your dedicated podcast setup as much as is possible. Uh, that involves not putting beaters on machines as well, uh, as we potentially discover to our cost. So this is a good thing. I endorse having a nice stable machine to, for these things to work on, video notwithstanding. So yeah, it is what it is. Anything else to say for follow-up? No, I, th- I think that is it. But for some reason, yeah, my camera stopped again. So it is all a bit bizarre. So apologies to our listener for Rod and I have been distracted for this first section. That's on me. My fault. We'll get through it. Let's do some news. Uh, our first story then is uh, a, a company has called Deepwater has predicted that Apple is going to acquire uh, the exercise company Peloton. Any thoughts about this? Yeah, I'm amazed that this hasn't already happened. I could see this happening before. It would fit great with their Fitness Plus. It would generate them some more service revenue. You know, there's a whole bunch of customers there. Sure, they could just roll into Apple Fitness with all the Peloton schemes. They would then have some hardware to sell. The hardware looks fantastic, very Apple-like. And um, yeah, I'm surprised they haven't done this to you know plug some form of service gap that they need to do. It seems like it would be a natural expansion of what they're doing. But what's your view? Yeah, I'm not sure about this really. I think Peloton is a struggling company in the sense that it's been around for a long time. The devices are very expensive. It requires a subscription. For the last three years in a row, they've lost money, which is not a thing Apple tends to look for in a company they're looking to acquire. They had some deaths, I think, from one of their products, the Tread Plus, Peloton, not Apple. That's probably got to give them pause for thought. I guess there may be IP within Peloton and a bit of a customer base that that would be useful and the interaction with Apple Watches and things like that could be good. But it's a really expensive service. The devices are really expensive. Apple do like a subscription, but I don't really think this is for them. I've got to say, I mean, I'll probably be proved wrong about this and by the end of the show, there'll be an announcement Apple acquiring Peloton. It just seems too big. With the exception of Beats, Apple don't buy things like this. I don't disagree with Apple not buying big companies. They do generally seem to buy very small companies, integrate them in. Beats is probably the one really big one that stands out, and I think they've done it very successfully. It's obviously what is now Apple Music. They still keep the headphones going. It's still got a bit of an identity. But I think this is a way of them growing. Sure, this is a way of them growing their fitness space, unless they're going to start building treadmills and bikes. They did have a death, which obviously was horrific. I think it was on a treadmill. But it just seems a natural way to go. I'm super curious whether anything will happen here. Or maybe it's something that they've looked at and thought they couldn't make it work. Maybe maybe they didn't want the, you know, all the history that Peloton's got. Do you know what I mean? Because you're not, not just taking on the company as it is today and future products. You're taking on anything outstanding, whether it's legal cases, you know, firmware updates, legacy equipment, all of that. But I just think it'd be quite a good fit for Apple to go to the next next piece with fitness. It would work with everything they're doing. Yeah, potentially, but who's to say there isn't another you know, smaller, more agile company with better products that Apple's got their eye on that they could snap up that doesn't have to be Peloton and doesn't come with that baggage and debt and all the rest of it that somebody like Peloton has. Unless they've got a lot of patents, we keep talking about them, in this game already for connected treadmills or whatever it is, exercise bikes that they've got. But my understanding is it's more in the the, the devices are important. But Apple, I think, would rather connect to an existing manufacturer's device with an Apple Watch through some chip they've put in it and make use of their own Fitness Plus instructors rather than having to take on all that other infrastructure with it. It doesn't feel realistic to me. Yeah, maybe the integration is too big an ask, but I wouldn't rule it out. I don't think it's guaranteed. So for me, it's probably about 50-50 whether it would happen. Fair enough. Interesting, though, and one to keep an eye on. Definitely. Moving, Moving on, we like to 
check in with our antitrust watch and there's two stories this week in, in antitrust that sort of are, are relevant to what's going on with apple uh, we said in our predictions show last week that we only expect more of this over the, as the year goes on uh, and coming out of the gates tim cook not just tim cook it's also chief executives from alphabet broadcom and nvidia are going to meet with the eu's antitrust lead which is margarita vestiger who's going to meet with the ceos of all these companies next week sometime so this is quite interesting isn't it they're getting the competition around the table to see what's going on yeah i'm wondering why they're getting everybody around the table though they've ruled on a bunch of stuff why are we all getting around the table is it to check in hey tim uh, we're going to be having more app stores come april the first what's going on yeah the article on 95 mac that's linked to it reckons it's going to be for apple at least about two things opening up the iphone's nfc chip to third-party apps i think that's probably fair enough and we know that that's going to have to happen in some company, countries already because we t- we've been talk- talking about legislation for that too and then allowing third-party app stores so i mean i don't know what that's really got to do with broadcom broadcom don't really run a lot of, but i guess when it comes to antitrust broadcom have got chips in the in the iphone They've got, you know, the, the, all the sort of previous baggage of Apple buying Intel's uh, 5G division and all the rest of it. So maybe there's just a bunch of stuff that comes together there. Could be. Broadcom have also just bought VMware, but there's anything linked in there. Yeah, yeah. But again, I don't think they have app stores other than Broadcom getting rid of all the bits of, of VMware that we've talked about over the last couple of weeks. I'm not sure about that, really. Yeah, so it, Broadcom does seem an odd one. I don't disagree with that. But it'll be interesting to see if anything comes out of it, but... I'm curious to know what April's going to look like here in the... Well, we're not really in the EU anymore, are we? So I guess we're not going to benefit from this. We're absolutely not in the EU anymore. Yeah, Yeah, we'll both just get sad for a minute, not giving away any politics in this show, obviously. The second part of this is that um, the US is expected to hit Apple with a major antitrust lawsuit this year, also reported in 9to5Mac. This is from a story from the New York Times reporting that the United States Department of Justice has reached the late stages of its monopoly investigation into Apple. So this just moves on from what we reported last week, that the case was firing on all cylinders. So there's some specific quotes in the linked article, but Apple, of course, is defending itself against all these antitrust claims, saying it doesn't have a monopoly in any market. I beg to differ. This is going to look at AirTags. This is going to look at iMessage. This is going to look at App Stores. This is going to look at NFC chips. This is a big deal and very similar to what the EU are doing. Yeah, it's interesting, though, in the article, it's got a quote that investigators have examined how the Apple Watch works better with the iPhone than other brands. Well, of course it is. It's made by the same manufacturer. You could say the same about Samsung's gear probably works better with Samsung's phone than it does with the iPhone because it probably doesn't work with the iPhone at all. It just seems bizarre to me how they're looking at it. Surely things from the same vendor work better with each other and play nicely. Yeah, that's the definition of antitrust though, isn't it? I guess as if you're excluding people from the market. So I believe that the health app won't sync with Google health devices. So, I mean, that's Apple being anti-competitive. Yeah, I guess so. But, yeah, it's a tricky one, though, isn't it? Because they've also built all that infrastructure out, you know, invested heavily in it. So if they then make it work with other brands, you know, how do they get, you know, realise their investment? I know, but, you know, we've got stuff at CES that we're going to talk about later on the show. And I think interactions with HealthKit, should absolutely be allowed if you if you've got a third party blood pressure monitor or you've got a third party smart scale or something like that then that should be allowed what's the difference you know if as a consumer you want to use your garmin device you can why should you be restricted just because you've picked some sort of google fit device instead you know these things should be open and similarly you could point to google why doesn't the apple watch work with android 
you know, for whatever collection or storage methodology that it's got. So the, I think the point is, if consumers want it, the data should be portable. I mean, we've talked right from the beginning of this show, it's the cost of getting out. If Apple did something super egregious tomorrow and you, you and I decided to leave the ecosystem entirely, there's probably quite a bit of data we'd want to get out. Yeah, I don't even know where I'd begin with that. I'd probably have to use my Mac to do most of it. Well, you would have to use your Mac. But in all fairness to Google, if you want to leave Google Photos, they give you the means of doing so. Fairly straightforward. There's a bunch of zip files. There's a lot of them. But you can go and you can remove all your data from it. There's a Google checkout option that lets you take your photos out, your contacts out, your email out, everything. And I suspect Apple don't make that quite so easy. Yeah, I don't know. I've never tried. I'm hoping I don't have to anytime soon. It's a thought, though. So anyway, you know, the, the, the point of this is antitrust stories. Get ready for them, folks. There's lots of them coming this year. Yeah, this is just the beginning, isn't it? It really is. Uh, and speaking of things uh, that I find alarming, the Palantir purchase that we've talked about the last couple of things, uh, I'm not the only one that's a bit worried about this. Um, this is a story from The Register saying, a leading expert has warned the value of the NHS's federated data platform, the Palantir purchase, will depend on usability, test- usability testing if it's to improve patient safety and efficiency. So this whole thing, it's not just me, really, that is worried about how this is going to go. This is looking at how Palantir have worked in the States with Cerner, with EPR deployments and things like that. That's electronic patient records. Sorry, I shouldn't use the slang. This particular person is, who's called Jones is pointing out that, you know, th- th- this would enable every NHS trust and integrated care system to connect share inf- information between them. Great, but we all know the problems once you've got a connected network like this. It's a two-way street, isn't it? I mean, it should be good in a way that records should be up to date and everything should talk and tell the same story. But equally, obviously, if there is a problem or an infection or a virus or ransomware, then it could be very much the other way around and actually nothing works anymore. Um, I went to hospital with my son just before Christmas. I turn up and they told me my address and I was like, no, that's my old address, which I found really odd because... We'd, or we'd already been to that hospital before, we had a baby there, and yet they didn't know about my current address that I've been at for 10 years. Obviously, our doctors know. And this was just me then thinking, well, surely there is just one system with our names and addresses on, but clearly there is not. So I work in a university. I teach our lecture on a health informatics course. I know a little bit about how hospital systems work. That's not a real surprise to me that these things aren't kept up to date because there isn't a monolithic system in the NHS that connects all these things together. It's still largely very departmentally based. So your ED slash accident emergency system should talk to the patient administration system, the EPR system for what records are coming and going, should talk to the x-ray system and say, hey, you've got 15 x-rays previously on this patient. Very few of them do. We've had the technology to interconnect these various systems for... I'm saying 30, 35, 40 years now. It's called HL7, Healthcare Level 7. It started as a very sort of simple terminal, sort of serial language with pipe separating identifiers, but had very good commands for notifying that things could happen within it. None of this is new. There is very little new under the sun. HL7 has been updated to JSON, you know, GP systems speak it, hospital systems speak it. You can plug in ventilators all the way down to path systems to blood pressure monitors and, you know, move them around and computers and all of these things can talk the same thing. This isn't new. We've been able to do this for years, but they're just wrapping it up and rebadging it. The worrying thing is where the data is going in this for me. And this is a security expert being worried about the data is going. So this kind of stuff makes me nervous. 
Yeah, I can understand that. None of this, uh, I'm going to mispronounce her name, Palantir is is good. It's all, The whole handling of the whole situation just does not smell right to me. So I, I don't read enough about this. So I, as I've got a bit of a soapbox here in the podcast, I'm going to bring it up when I find a story about it. So apologies if you find NHS data protection and your own pi- personal and private patient information potentially being shared with third parties without your permission. A bit of a worry. It's a massive worry, isn't it? It really is. It really is. Speaking of things that are worrying, have you seen the story about Apple rejecting the Hey app again? So this is the Hey calendar app. Yeah, I have seen this. So Hey is an email service launched by the folks at Basecamp. It was launched well, a few years ago, just before WWDC. Apple wouldn't allow the app because to have the app, you had to sign up for an account and it didn't do anything if you didn't sign up for an account. The only way you could do that was on their website. They obviously didn't want to pay Apple the, the 30% tax to do it. So Apple wouldn't allow it. They then reached a compromise with their email app where um, you could set up a new account uh, with the app, but it would just be a randomized email address so you could try out the service. And then when you, when you wanted to convert to use the system permanently, you had to pay Hey some money, but not through the App Store. This time they've now launched a calendar app. It's called Hey Calendar. It was due to launch on the 2nd of January. They were, I'm guessing they were going to have a big marketing push for it. And it's not worked out terribly well because Apple again have turned around and went, you can't do anything with this app if you haven't got an account. You, you should present something to the users. But obviously, it's not built that way. You're meant to sign up online. And you'd already have an account. This is a companion app. And it seems a very petty thing for Apple to block them from doing. And they're not allowed to put links in the app to take them to their website to sign up for an account. So you're kind of like in a catch-22 here. And this is kind of the App Store rules being a bit ridiculous, I think it's fair to say, because this just does not make any sense. No, it doesn't. And when this happened the first time, which was in 2020, when the, when this launched, I remember it happening just before COVID or in, at the outset of COVID because there was a lot of talk about it on, in podcasts and things at that point. And there was a specific rule made to allow this to happen, you know, the process that you've just discussed for the Hey app. And now they're just ignoring the fact that they've got this carve-out rule, as they call it. They're ignoring it again. Now, David Heinemeyer Hansen, who is the guy who's behind Hey, is a slightly controversial figure. He's best known to me as popularizing Ruby on Rails, that whole web programming interface for Ruby and being able to bring up uh, websites very, very quickly and all the rest of it. But I think he's got some slightly extreme views on employment and things like that. It's probably the safest thing to do. Again, feel free to look him up on Wikipedia. But this, I can understand why he's a bit narked about this because they've done this once already. Yeah, they've been through this dance, which is kind of interesting. I'm amazed that he didn't start this dance a lot earlier with Apple and left it a bit last minute. So that that's a bit strange to me, but it's just amazing Apple's going over the same old ground. You'd have thought with all these antitrust cases going on, you don't want to do another one of these. But here we are having the same problem that we've had time and time again. So it does seem a little bonkers to me. Yeah, they can't go and we've made things better over the course of the years when in 2024 they've had this exact problem again. Yeah, it's, uh, when will Apple learn? That's the question. They don't seem inclined to because it's not affecting their profits at the moment, so that's not bothering them. Yeah, I guess that is true, isn't it? It's not touching the profits, so why do we care? Yeah, the problem is this will in the end because they'll be made to change and they won't like what governments will enforce on them. Yeah, and then they might have to buy Peloton to bolster their profits. (laughs) Maybe Peloton will buy them if it goes that bad. Wow, that would have to be horrific. That would be horrific. Let's not think about that. In other unfortunate news, and I think we did talk about this in the podcast about six months ago or so, um, when we were asked by a listener, actually, to 
suggest other podcast clients that would meet the requirements. One of the ones we tried was Castro. So we tried Castro and Jellycast and a couple of other ones, as well as Apple's own podcast and Overcast. And Castro was a very good app. It was very strong. I think both you and I were very impressed with it. Wasn't quite as good as Overcast as we were using that time, so we stuck with that. But it would seem that the Castro app has vanished from the internet. Yeah, I was just sorry. While you were talking, I was just trying to find a toot that I saw earlier. I think they've actually responded. But it does feel like Castro's disappeared. People are asking questions. And they're not getting anything back. So it seems very bizarre. So late last year, I think November time, they had some outage issues. And then there was talk on social media of the company, you know, having some issues and might not be continuing. They then refuted that and put up a blog post. And now they're down again. But it, there's been like radio silence, which seems very bizarre to me. Surely there must be a mechanism of posting to a Twitter slash form, you know, X account or doing something to say, no, everything's OK. We're just having a you know a technical snafu so yeah very bizarre i think to be honest with you the whole like they've done no pr around it even like i say if it was just a quick message to say really sorry we're on it give us a few days but i did see something recently saying that they were coming back up it doesn't instill faith in the service though you know every couple of months it goes down you can get your podcast there's issues with it you get errors i'd be jumping ship if i was a customer there is that but even if you wanted to stay in with them the fact they're not even acknowledging it or saying anything is more alarming to me. I get they may have a problem, but you need to deal with it, surely. Yeah, how long does it take, as you say, to fire off a tweet or fire off a tweet or stick a little blog post somewhere? Yeah, and it wasn't help that their website was down. The website's now back up and they've, you know, I was just checking the blog post that they wrote in, on the 1st of December addressing any concerns, but this is not a good way of handling it. If you've got an outage or an issue jump in front of it, message it in the right way, and then you probably won't lose anybody. Yeah, I think that's fair. So a, an exercise in bad management of your product and bad PR. Yeah, well, it just exacerbates a bad situation. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. What's our next story? Oh, yes. So this is just reporting in on, on a aspect of technology that has very little to do with tech, but I think is potentially very important for the planet as a whole. So... As we know, there is wide, wet, widespread resistance to antibiotics in the world because people take antibiotics, don't finish the course, and the, the, the virus or bacteria mutates in, in presence of the drug, and therefore you become resistant to that antibiotic and its effect on things. So the penicillin-based drugs that started in the, well, I guess it was at the end of the 40s, really, when we had penicillins, as discovered at St. Mary's Hospital in, in just outside of Paddington, if you ever go, and you walk past St. Mary's, that's where penicillin was invented by Alexander Fleming. I um, did not know that, and I've walked past there many times. So there you go, I've learned something. There you go, St. Mary's Hospital. Very important site uh, for Alexander Fleming. Anyway, all of our modern antibiotics are still fundamentally based on penicillin, as was discovered then. So all these MRSAs, VRSAs, uh, resistant staph aureus to infections are becoming more and more worrying and more and more prevalent within hospitals and outside of hospitals for infections. This, there is a new class of experimental antibiotics that can kill some of these RSA resistant uh, various resistant viruses and things uh, that are part of this. So I just think this is really cool, actually. After 70 years, we've actually, we're actually about to discover, potentially, a whole new sequence of antibiotics. And I just think that's a technology story worth reporting on. Yeah, I started reading this and realised it's very much in your wheelhouse. But no, I completely agree. It's fantastic to see this development. Um, and they can do, obviously, to improve antibiotics. It's got to be better than most of the things we're going to talk about tonight. 
Yeah, absolutely. It's a very positive news story. It's early phase clinical trials. It's important to point out other things can go wrong during clinical trials. You can find awful reactions to them. They might not work when you when they go out in the more public. They can have massive contraindications. If you're on this, you can't take that. But this is just encouraging, and I'm really glad to see it. Agreed. Positive news story. Okay. So, oh, I was gone. No, go, go, go. Uh, I was going to say, next one up is Microsoft getting out of making devices they're going to keep their surface line but last year they announced we're not going to make the microsoft mice and keyboards that, that we do which are very popular but it seems like some form of deals being reached within case and they're going to be badged as in case accessories designed by microsoft and they're going to keep a bunch of the uh, microsoft products going which i think is quite a cool solution obviously microsoft wanted to exit the business maybe it was a distraction for them and they're going to keep the sculpt keyboards and some of their mice going and various other bits and bobs which which I think it's quite cool that Microsoft have done this. I'm surprised, but I think it's quite cool they've kept it going. What I didn't realise, though, is Incase owned like a bunch of other companies as well, like Griffin, who I used to buy things many years ago when I had an iPod. So I think it's great they're keeping it alive. Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one, isn't it? I always was, remember being slightly surprised when you got an actually badged Microsoft mouse you know, in the box or you bought a Microsoft mouse. Some of them were just rebadged Logitech accessories, though, even then. Yeah. So and some of them were very good. They did make some great devices. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the Air Mouse, the ergonomic keyboards Microsoft used to make, some of the mice were just very sort of comfortable. I know John Syracuse on ATP swears by his Microsoft mouse, even though he's had some issues with the rubber coming off it. But, I, you know, they made very good products. And I, I don't think that in case will do any worse with this. You know, it's probably quite a lucrative little market for them to get involved with. And as you say, they've got their lots of fingers in this kind of pie. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how it goes long term. Is this a short term design by Microsoft or will this carry on? Who knows what, you know, three, four years from now, version twos will look like. I don't know. I do wonder how many people actually change the peripherals. There's a market for people like me who want, you know, very cool mechanical keyboards that I've become suddenly interested in. You like your Logitech keyboards, your MX series and all the rest of it. You're likely to go to that. But most people will just use what comes in the box, won't they? Yeah, pretty much most people will until it's defunct and then they go and pick something up. Yeah, gamers or people with an interest will go and seek out something else. But tonight I have switched back to my standard Mac keyboard because of the clickiness of my mechanical one, but that's deliberate. Yeah, no, I understand that. And I've purposely dug my my one out because it is quite quiet and my trackpad and turned on uh, tap to click so I can do silent clicks. So we're going to see how that goes this week. Interesting for Microsoft though. I think it's really good. Yeah, I, I'd agree. And their tension's not there, is it? Xbox, yes. You know, Surface products, yes. They don't want to be making some bog-standard two-button mouse. No, apparently they're still doing Surface accessories, but just not general Microsoft-badged accessories. Fair enough. Second to last story, and just because I think it's cool, involves motorbikes and tech, is this prototype hubless motorcycle. Did you get a look at the story on The Verge? I did. I don't know a lot about motorcycles or motorbikes, but it looks... It looks wrong because it's like, how's the back wheel working? But it looks very cool. So by hubless, all wheels attached to cars or attached to motorbikes generally need some sort of way of fixing them to the frame or the suspension. Hubless means there is nothing, in, and that's almost always in the middle of the wheel. So you put bolts in the middle of the wheel, you put your suspension around it, you run something through it, and then you've got a good secure connection to your vehicle. In the case of cars, you've got you know your suspension and your shock absorber and your, your brake discs and all the rest of it as an armature, and then you put five bolts or so onto the wheel to secure it to it. This thing, the back wheel, has no hub in the middle. It just It's the most 
most amazing looking thing and properly futuristic. Yeah, I think it looks awesome. Like I say, I'm super interested in how the mechanics of it works. Not that I'd understand it, but I just think it looks cool. So gets a hats off with some innovation in that space. Yeah, and even for the bike, there's some other cool things. It's got massive acceleration, unsurprisingly, because it's an electric vehicle. You know, you've got more torque than some uh, super hot sports cars, and obviously the power to weight ratio is much better on a motorbike. It's covered in cameras. It's it's it all presented with Unreal Engine to get the tech angle in there, actually. So when you're looking at sort of the on-bike displays and all the rest of it, you've actually got computer game stuff powering the on-bike engine for, for, for navigating the, the, the system. So I just think it's super cool. Yeah, it does look cool. Be interested to see where this one goes because we've had lots in the electric space with cars, but it's interesting to see something in the bike space. It is, and this starts at $26,900. So if you want to sort yourself out with a new electric motorcycle, then that's the price. That's quite a lot, isn't it, for a motorcycle? I don't, I've got no basis for comparison. My first motorbike, which was a 600cc Yamaha, cost me £6,200 in 1990. Six. <laughs> I thought you say nineteen ninety for a minute. And I was getting worried. No, nineteen ninety six. I think a good Ducati, just as I was getting out of riding bikes, was sort of fifteen, sixteen grand. So this doesn't seem that extreme on on that sort of scale, sort of process. Yeah, no, it, it doesn't seem like it's a million miles away. Probably with with inflation or what have you. And you think it's electric, and our electric cars are ten to fifteen grand more expensive than petrol ones. So that doesn't really surprise me. Yeah, hundred percent. They are more expensive. Yeah. And keeping with electric vehicles, an interesting innovation from BT that they're looking into at the moment, and that's repurposing the street cabinets where telecoms wiring goes through into potential EV chargers. Did you see this story? I did. Interesting. They are trialing it in uh, East Lothian in Scotland, your your home country. I think this is interesting because there are a bunch of, you know, these green cabinets around the UK. Why wouldn't we reuse them? They've got power going to them. Some of them, though, I would imagine won't be in the right location. But it would be great, and surely this is a service BT will charge you for to you know charge up your car. I think it's a good idea. They should definitely do this. Why do we need to run more infrastructure when we could reuse what, what we've got? Especially as the cabinets become freer, as more people have fibre to the premise, you don't need these cabinets with all the copper in it. No, I think this is a great idea. In the article, there's 90,000 of these green cabinets across the UK, and they reckon 60,000 of them could be repurposed for this. I don't know what it's like. You're a bit more rural than we are here in our in the urban city centre sprawl at Swansea. But when you go through some streets, people have got EVs and they're trailing cables across the streets from their houses, across pavements and all the rest of it. And it's going to become a hazard at some point. So I think this might not be the fastest charging in the world. They're saying only 7 kilowatts, which is what I get from my home charger anyway. But this may enable people to charge who previously couldn't have thought because, you know, they live in a second floor flat, but there's a, there's a BT cabinet downstairs that they can potentially charge their vehicle off. I think it's a great idea. It's got to be a good idea. And I've seen people um, in London where you they've adapted some lampposts to do something similar. So it's got to be a good idea. Most where I live, people have got drives. So obviously people have got the charges on their houses and they are becoming a lot more prevalent. And it is super convenient. But if I lived you know, and had to park on a street, I have no idea what I would do. I probably wouldn't have an electric car because the home charging is so convenient. It does make a big difference, doesn't it? It's It's got to be the thing that, other than the cost of the vehicles themselves, that stops people buying them. If you can get the right tariff, I already said how much it costs to charge my electric car at the moment in, in modern Britain. It makes a huge difference. It's, all, it's very inexpensive motoring once you've covered the vehicle. You have solar panels, it's probably even more inexpensive for you. But yeah, it's a major factor. 
Yeah, definitely. Uh, Should we move on to uh, media? Let's do some media. It was the Golden Globes uh, last night slash this morning for the UK. Did you see the results of these? Uh, I've seen a bit of it. Whilst you were talking, I was just looking to um, find a link to a page on the BBC actually to include in the show notes because they had um, Cillian Murphy up there. I think I pronounced his name correctly. He was in Oppenheimer and they've had sorry i'm just looking to put put this link in they said about the comedian he apparently landed quite flat but actually i thought some of his one-liners which were in the article were actually quite amusing but i thought it was really interesting because do you know what the bear did really well the tv series the bear and so did succession which are obviously two tv shows that i really enjoyed this year you made me watch the bear and you're 100 right to do so it was fantastic so well done and succession i think i got you to watch so actually those two I wholeheartedly endorse for winning some some awards because I think they're fantastic. And Oppenheimer equally, I thoroughly enjoyed that. Well, I think we should give ourselves a pat on the back because in our awards show last week, all these things are pretty highly nominated, right? That is true. We're obviously in touch with, with the wider world. Yeah, we are dedicated consumers of media, that's for sure. The only one I will question though is I think Barbie picked up a, a Golden Globe and um, I wasn't sure about that, as I've mentioned previously. Yeah, but you're wrong about that. Yeah, I may well be because I think the rest of the world is against me on this one. So, but no, I thought it was interesting to see, and I'm glad some of the things I enjoy have been, you know, rewarded in the right way. Fair enough. Yeah, it's good. I like I said, I don't know how good the show was, but I agree with the awards largely, and it certainly seems there was more diverse awards than had been done previously by the Golden Globes. I think that's good that they've recognised that. So, I guess it's BAFTAs then Oscars. I guess you're right. I can't remember the running order. I think that's the way it goes. Moving on, for some reason, over New Year, I watched the the BBC featured an episode of an old Scottish show called Still Game, the New Year special, the Hogbinet special, as we'd say at home. And it made me remember how clever the comedy is in Still Game. It's probably about 15 years old at this point. It's two middle-aged Scottish comedians pretending to be old guys. They're dressed up like old guys. It's very Scottish. It's very funny. The whole thing is on the iPlayer. Check it out. When you said about this, I thought, is that the one I remember with two old guys on the DVD cover from years ago? And I was right, it is two old guys on the DVD cover. So I've never seen it, but if I can, I will, will slot this in. Give it a go. It's not too Scottish that you won't get it. It's a bit sweary, don't watch it with the kids. But they're not actually old guys, they're just dressed up to be old guys. There's only one actual old guy in the whole thing, so see if you can spot him. Everybody else is made up. Okay, I'll try and take a look at it. Yeah, I do remember this from probably when we were at uni, I think this came out. It's a great show. It's very funny. Uh, moving on, I've also started watching, uh, through our recommendation, Arrested Development. I've tried to start this a couple of times in the past. Um, I think it's where Michael Sarah got his start, uh, amongst others. Uh, most of the voice cast of Archer are featured as actors in, in Arrested Development. So I've done two episodes of the first season. I'm kind of getting it this time. It, it is, it's quite a funny show. Yeah, I've heard good things about it, but I've never seen it. So Yeah, funny and I don't know, you, d- you did watch Archer, I think. Mallory Archer is Jessica Walters, I think, is the is the actress's name. She is very like the character of Mallory Archer. It's nice to see her in real life. Yeah, I should, I should probably look up the voice cast of Archer and see what they look like in real life. I have actually watched some of the more recent series 14, I think we are, on of Archer. It's very good, actually. I really enjoyed it and would recommend to anybody that's seen Archer on Netflix. It's an animated spy spoof, not for children comedy it's very funny and series 14 is really good so i actually quite enjoyed that more recently on netflix i have purchased netflix for a couple of months just to try out a few things so blue eye samurai right remember 
Oh yeah, I've got to watch that too, haven't I? Yeah, you do. Your your watch list gets ever longer. And you know what? My wife actually suggested that we watch Fool Me Once on Netflix. So we've been trying that. And it's not often my wife turns around and goes, I've heard about this TV show. Can we watch it? So we've been giving that a go. But it's, it reminds me of another Netflix show we watched a few years ago where the first episode, you just have no idea what to believe, what's going on. Do you know what I mean? Everything's questionable. And I guess we're going to spend the next seven episodes unwinding what the truth is. But it's it's quite good so far. It's very well filmed. Amazing locations. I do fear that it's got the problem with a lot of TV shows where they stretch it out a little bit too much. So it'll be interesting to see how it unfolds. But first show in and we'll watch. Um, And do you know what else we watched? And I don't think we've touched on it here. But we did watch um, Chicken Run 2, Dawn of the Nugget. I don't know if you've seen this on Netflix. I've seen it advertised on Netflix. I think we talked about Aardman a couple of times on this show for one reason or another of running out of clay or some of their genius animations. You've watched it then, have you? Yeah, I sat down with my, well, with only one child and watched it as the other one was not keen. Um, I thought it was fantastic. Just done in the same spirit. I thought it was genuinely quite funny. My 12-year-old son really enjoyed it. And it was just nice to curl up on the couch and and watch a new children's film that we hadn't seen before. Because I think that is a problem. There's not many things that are coming out in that space. But I thought they did a great job. And if you've enjoyed an Armin film, I would definitely recommend watching it. Fair enough. Anything else in media? Games, I've only got one item on my list. I haven't played much games. Played many games, I should say. Better English. I have had a chance to sit down for with Baldur's Gate for about an hour now. I can't remember how much I talked about it on the show last week other than say I think I'd installed it. I think you, yeah, installed it and maybe just you had customised your character. I'd customised my character and I talked about the unusual options there were to, to as part of your character customization. I've played a little bit of it now. My gosh, that's a deep game. Even having just done an hour of it, I feel. I don't think I've even scratched the surface. I think I've just read the first word on the first page. It feels huge. Yeah, and for me, it's probably what puts me off it, but I can see why some people would enjoy that. You spend £50 on a game, you're going to live in it for a long period of time. So I can see the appeal, but the fact how you describe customising your character, how much you could do for that, it just kind of sets the tone, I guess, for the, the rest of the game and how deep it's going to be. But like I say, for me, it's probably too much. But I was commenting to my children just, just today on, we've been playing Gran Turismo again in my house. And I said, considering we paid for that game once, we did buy it when it came out, it cost £70. But here we are years later, still playing it. They're still releasing new content for it. It's still keeping us entertained. We've not been playing it every day, every month since it came out, but we've had amazing value out of that game for what was at the time, for me, quite an expensive game. Sure. And to be fair, Gran Turismo, they've kept up to date. I'm just saying, slay this buyer 12 quid, years and years and years worth of data. No, I don't think it's my bag. Sorry. Wrong about Barbie, wrong about slay the spire. Should we do a main show? Yeah, let's do it. Okay, so uh, quite good timing for us, unusually. Uh, announced in uh, America was Apple Vision Pro is going to be available for pre-order on January the 19th. I need to be careful my wording here. You can't buy it yet. You can't even pre-order it yet. You can pre-order it on January the 19th and it will be delivered hopefully on February the 2nd. So this is quite a big deal. Yeah, I think this caught everybody a bit by surprise because I don't think anybody had Apple would just come out of the blue on the first Monday back after the new year and go, right, here's Vision Pro. It's ready to order it on the 19th of January. Um, I expected there to be an invite to an event, if I'm honest. I thought there would be more of an event around this because we had a demo at the uh, 
Apple Developer Conference back in June, and we've not really had anything else said about it. And I'm surprised by that. I thought Apple, this would be a great way of them getting out a half hour video on it and really getting some media attention on it because this is a whole new platform. I'm guessing though they're a little muted on it though because it's only launched in the US this year. On their press release, it did say coming to other countries next year, which feels like a long way out. So it must be a heavily con- supply constraint for what they're doing. And obviously it, it starts at three and a half thousand dollars. So it's it's got quite a high barrier to entry. I know when the iPhone came out, you know, it was like 500 pounds or $500 to get in, or maybe it was a bit less than that, but it was a lot for that class of device at the time and Apple is pushing the boundary again so yeah super interesting but in line with expectations Apple said it would be available early 24 Bosch here it is Um, it doesn't look a huge amount different than WWDC six months ago but I'm guessing they've made everything work that they showed because you never know when you see a product demo how much is actually working for a user when they get in the wild Um, but they seem to I'm guessing tightened all that up Um, it comes with 256 gig SSD um, and it will do two and a half hours of battery life when you're just watching a regular video you can use it plugged in but if you're just using the battery that's what you get out of it which I guess they've got to start somewhere yeah they do that feels a little light I guess two and a half hours I mean your iPad's gonna last a lot longer than that your iPad does about 10 hours. Two and a half hours does seem a little light because that's just about a film. Yeah. You know, if you were traveling on a, on a train or you're going away, you're going to be running this tethered, I think, a lot of the time. And often when they quote video time, that's the longest time for a battery. Like, you know, 10 hours of, of doing this. Video is the thing they'll quote. So, you know, you can survive your very long international flight and it's going to keep going. This feels very short. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't even watch Killers Under a Flower Moon on this, which is their most recent show. Comes out this week, by the way, for those that want to stream it. And Golden Globe for the actress involved in that too. Okay, fantastic. Which I think we must we must watch and then discuss. That is actually, that's probably going to have to be our homework, isn't it? We're going to have to watch Killers of the Flower Moon, put three and a half hours aside, which, but not on our Vision Pros, because A, we won't be able to get them in the UK. B, they're an awful lot of money. C, they won't survive the length of it. And D... Also, as part of this, they've listed how much it's going to cost to get it customized for your glasses. So standard inserts for for this, which I presume are plus one, plus two, plus three, whatever it is to snap into the the headset, are going to cost $99 to have those fit to fit your prescription. Well, no, to fit the standard. And then for a prescription lens, it's going to be $149. These prices aren't that ridiculous. You know, a set of glasses is probably going to cost you that. And this is effectively a set of glasses inside of the device. But that's my suspicion as to why this is, other than being massively supply constrained and too expensive, this is probably why it's not coming to the UK and other countries yet, because they need to build this side of things into. Yeah, I guess it's not just shipping the device, you know, the, the processes, the glass, the the batteries, like they would with an iPad or a phone. It's all all the piece around, like you say, the vision of it. I'm gutted it's not coming out for another year here. I think if it launched now... I probably would pick one up even if I returned it. But I just want to try, I really want to try it out. And now I've seen some of the videos on the website, which are very good. I really want to have a go on one. How much I would use it in a day-to-day experience, I can't answer that question yet. But I just love it when something new comes out and I'm gutted that um, we're not going to get a go on it or even be able to to try it. So um, unless we go to the States, but that's a, it then becomes a very expensive uh, device as it's already three and a half thousand dollars so i am disappointed 
it's not coming out here. I expected it's coming out in the US now. Six months, we'll be doing other countries, but they've said literally 12 months away. So that is disappointing. Maybe that's when they do a V2 and that's maybe made for a more international market. Um, I do hope that the inserts and what have you, not that I really need them. I know I've got glass on now, but these these are very minor. I hope that they do what they did like with the Apple Watch bands where the inserts, you know, stay the same throughout all the generations for, for a reasonable amount of time because that would be frustrating if they changed very quickly. Maybe they're not releasing in the EU because they're holding it back from the EU until they sort out their antitrust things. No, that, that, that's a joke. That's not. Do, do you think that's what Tim's going to put on the table next week? Yeah, do you want this? Be nice to us. Yeah, yeah if you want this, you help me out. Yeah. I've got one here in the bag for you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's possible, but uh, again... I, this is interesting. I'm glad there's prices. It's interesting to get some specs. It will be fascinating to see the first round of reviews. I think I said last week, Marcus Brownlee and others have been saying that they've had more access to this device than they've been allowed to talk about. Other podcasts, like, again, Marco Arman and Casey Liss have both had time with the device. They haven't been able to say any more than that. So there is another shoe to drop here. And how compelling is it? It's been interesting looking at Mastodon. You know, the developer of the Ice Cubes app, which is a Mastodon client, has just posted his Vision iOS, Vision OS version. So that can be uploaded. So it'll be there for February when it comes out. So, you know, developers are starting to get those things out there. But you think about that. It's a Mastodon app for it. I've got a Mastodon app on my iPad, my Mac, my phone. Do I really need one for spatial computing as well? I guess we just don't know yet, do we? And it's a bit like when the uh, Apple Watch came out. You know, we all jumped on it. We tried it. And I've backed away from it. And most app developers backed away because it's, it's a platform that's right for certain kinds of apps. And I guess what we don't know with Vision yet or Vision OS is, is it going to be a general purpose platform like your Mac? Like your, your iPad is fairly general purpose if you want it to be. But is Vision OS going to be like that where it's a general purpose thing? Or is it going to be more exercise, media, gaming, you know, are you going to be doing productivity on it? Are you going to use it? Because you can put the thing on and just look at your Mac and then start using your Mac through the screens of it. Is that actually going to be that interesting and sticky for people to do? Or is it just a neat demo? And I guess that's what we need over the next year is what actually sticks and is really good at and is better at. Um, and then we know know how good it is. I'm curious to see, for me, I'd want the Office apps on it because that's my job is all the Microsoft suite of things. And yeah, I've got that on my iPad for work. But if I really want to use something like this, I'd want all the apps on there too. So it'd be interesting to see whether they, they do that. The big reservation I have is I just don't know whether I would feel motion sick wearing the thing. And do I want to shut myself off from the world? Because in all their videos, it's just somebody sat on their own on a couch. It's seems quite a lonely experience and that's what's put me off buying the playstation 5 vr set because i like to play with my children it's nice sitting around talking and i just think if you're wearing that and i know they can watch on the screen while you've got the headset on but you're still putting up a physical barrier between you and, and the people you're with so i'm still mixed on it however the days when i'm working at home in my shed eight hours a day on my own might be quite cool might not be i don't, I don't know the answer yet well, it's not always by yourself. Do you not remember the sad dad video where the guy, the dad was videoing his kids at the party wearing the Vision OS headset? Yeah, I don't think I would be doing that. That's quite a thing. I don't even take my, my camera with me, which is half the size of one of those. I always just take my phone to those kind of things. So I'm super interested in it. I'd love to know, you know, is this like the iPad? Is this the future? And then we get a few years down the line and go, actually, no, it's just another way of consuming the same content. 
Yeah, I have serious doubts about this. I really do. I mean, what you were saying before about, yeah, you can have your Mac in there. So ignoring the fact that you've got a continuity camera type piece there as well, which you've just been through. I've, the way they demonstrated it at WWDC was you turn over, you open up your Mac, and it just appears as a display inside of Vision OS. If that works as well as your continuity camera did a minute ago, that's not going to be the best experience in the world. Not only, though, are you down for $3,500 for this device, you're down for another $1,500 or $2,000 or however much for the laptop or the Mac Studio or the Mac Pro that you're integrating into this as well. So there's, there's lots of bits in there. When you buy an iPad, for all my reservations about the iPad, be it you buy a Mini or an Air or a Pro, you can pretty much run the apps you want to run on it. You know, there's no, it's it's a device, even if you don't buy the keyboard accessories, you can fi- you can download Word, you can start doing something, you can be productive. Is that going to be the same experience with this? You're $3,500 out. What else are you going to have to you to, to have with it to get it to work? If you do, if they don't have your prescription ready, does it sit in the corner until, you know, those lenses come in because you can't see the thing? Is there some other dongle or widget or something that will have to come with it? I mean, that's not what they're showing in the marketing videos. But the, the, the use case for this, other than films are going to look really cool on it, and apparently there's something like 150 films already available on the Apple TV app that take advantage of i presume it's spatial video however it's been filmed 3d films i guess i tell you what as i'm talking that occurs to me that if they show dread 3d on one of these looking amazing then you might have a use case for me but it's a hell of an expensive way to watch a film i love but but you know what i mean that 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 thing hasn't been sold well to me and maybe it'll take testimonials to do that but i want them to get to the bottom of what is this for they got there with the apple watch it's for fitness. It's for tracking that. They got there with the iPad. <laughs> it's for consuming, but it is a general purpose computer. You know, it, it it has changed a bit from when Steve launched it to what it is now. There's been there was a story, and I think there was enough. It was a, a good price point, and it was a compelling enough device that it's been sticky enough in the market. And you see those waves. The software is a disaster, but as a piece of hardware, it's terrific. The Mac has been the same. It's waxed and it's waned a little bit, but there's always been the couple of killer things, be it a spreadsheet app or be it your email or whatever, it, being a coder that you develop on there. It has a purpose. This still doesn't have a purpose for me. Just being a bit more immersive isn't a purpose. Yeah, I, I kind of get it. Um, I really want to try it out. But, you know, five years from now, are we all going to have a pair of these on our heads and they'll all be a bit thinner and we'll be doing all our productivity on it and we have this ability to see through it or you know who knows what's going to come is this the future because we were told the ipad was the future for a little while and then obviously they've backed away from it is this going to be be that but i'm unsure if i'm honest but i'm super keen to try it out because i just think it looks cool and for somebody that uses an ipad all the time these apps are basically the ipad apps i'd probably get feel right at home with it i'm curious to know what what you know typing is going to be like on on the keyboard that appears i'm curious to know what scrolling looks like when you do this little i can't remember what the gesture is with your fingers is that going to be super annoying when you just want to scroll down to the bottom of a page to click on the about us link or whatever it may be so i think it's going to be super interesting and i think some of it's going to be in that sitting down with the device and trying it out and understanding the nuances of actually it's really heavy on my head after five minutes and scrolling takes forever or actually like with the first iphone now they pretty much nailed it straight out the gate and they did with the first iphone it wasn't perfect but you knew as soon as you used it within five minutes you knew that 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 was the future because 
you know, just the whole way it interacted, you could scroll through your albums, you, you know, you could make phone calls and scroll through lists and browse the internet. It was like, yes, this is what the internet should be in my pocket. Whereas I think, is the, are we going to say the same for Vision OS? I think when we saw watches, we thought, yeah, it's interesting, it's quite cool. But but you nobody really got that excited. It took quite a few years of slow burn. Are we going to see something different with, with Vision? I don't know. Don't get me wrong. I want to see the next evolution in computing. That's what Apple gives us. It gives us that hit every so often that the iPhone was a game changer, the Mac was a game changer. You want that, the iPod was a game changer. Was it or was it just incredibly well done technology at the right point in time? That could be argued either way, but I want it. We'll have to see if this is it. Yeah, I, d- I don't disagree with that statement. So anyway, keep watching this space. I am looking forward to the videos coming out because there will be you know, MKBHD reviewing it, I'm sure. So um, for me, I'm, I'm lo- really looking forward to that, even though I know I won't be able to get it. And it will remind me when the first iPhone came out. I didn't really want the iPhone at the time. But then when once it started getting closer to the UK launch and you started seeing more how people use it, it's like, actually, I do really want this. How do I get it? I think it's a... I find it just very odd that it's a whole year away from coming outside the US to, to our market. It's, we haven't had that in a product for a long time, that scarcity. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It gives the product a year to figure itself out. That is true, but sometimes I want to I want to have a play with it in that time. But equally, I'm quite happy to keep some money in my bank account. Trip to San Francisco, go to the Apple Store in Cupertino. I, I recommend it. I'd love to do all of those things, but I don't think I could afford to do all of those things. And if you can't afford a Vision Pro or you can't wait a year, there are obviously a couple of other things you can try. There's the Oculus series of, of computing devices, which we've talked about here before. I've popped in the show notes a thing called the X-Real Air 2, which will let you do some of the things Vision Pro is meant to be able to do, and it's about $700. And then there's the Sony stuff that we've talked about for a year before. So it doesn't all have to be Vision Pro. If you want to get your VR slash AR fix, there are competitors on the market. I think what we're expecting, though, is that this should be better than all of them. It should be, given that it's priced to be better than all of them, and supposedly Apple have sprinkled their secret sauce on the top. So now I'm super interested to see it. I can't can't wait to, like I say, see a bit more of what it's like to use in real life. Fair enough. Anything else to say on the Vision Pro? No, I don't think so. Let's, let's just keep an eye on maybe when the um, reviews come out, probably early Feb, we can then maybe circle back to it. So one thing the, the Vision Pro may have done is sort of, hammered a nail into CES, which is happening at the same time, and always does in January. It always used to be Macworld uh, would overtake CES when they'd announced the hot new iPod and CES would get cast into shadow. So all the cool new tech devices wouldn't show up, and this might have happened again, but just before it did, we'd put down some um, products at CES or some new things that we thought were quite cool. Should we go through these? Yeah, let's do it. I mean, fair play to Apple. Their timing is amazing. Of it, which obviously they knew CS was happening, it happens every year, but there were some quite cool things coming out of CS to talk about. I think we would have had enough to talk about without the Vision Pro. So, what, what do you want to get into first? Let's see, we've got another another monitor coming out, which reminds me of this time last year. I think we spoke about a lot of monitors. We did speak, there was the Dell horrendous one with a camera built into it that looked awful, but was 5K and a couple of others. So, again, we're going to start with screens. I'm, I'm interested in screens because I'm looking for something in the sweet spot that can act as a a KVM, so a key, a sort of virtual keyboard uh, device where I can have multiple computers attached to it. I want to be able to plug my laptop in. I want my gaming PC. Occasionally, I want to plug in something like a Raspberry Pi just to do a quick configuration and move off. So it's got to have the facility to be able to switch between the keyboard and mouse on my desk and whatever device I want. 
and I want it to be a big enough screen and have a fast enough refresh rate that I can, you know, play a game on it at more than 120 hertz. Because let's face it, I can do that on my TV in my living room these days. So I've got quite a high specification for these things. And ideally, I'd like it to be about 5K because that that's what looks best for Apple, you know, uh, devices. They're designed to be at 5K for the sort of pixel resolutions they run at and all the rest of it. And my current screen, which is a ridiculous Philips curved screen thing, gives me 120 hertz. It uh, is the KVM. I can have three computers plugged in at the same time. It doesn't, however, give me 5K because it's only, I think it's 3440 by 1440. So it's 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 basically 1440p, but a bit wider. So I don't have the 5K part of that. So I'm very interested when they announce new screens to see if maybe this is the thing. Now I can see that, and I did see this one come by, and it did take my interest because it's like, oh, 5K, tick. It's 120 hertz refresh tick. It's got the KVM functionality in which as we were just exploring at the top of the show with my Mac setup, it would be great if I could have one screen, one really nice screen, flick between, you know, my devices easier. And there's not an easy way to do it when you've got to unplug your device and plug it back in again. But it'd be great if I could just have a button or, you know, on on the device to do that. Um, this this looks really good. It's a 5K curved screen, 120 um, hertz refresh. I mean, it is 40 inches, basically. It's 39.7 inch curved screen, which is gargantuan but it is thunderbolt 4 as well fantastic it's got two and a half gig ethernet port which we were discussing more recently as i've been looking at upgrading my network it's got a whole plethora of usb-c and usb-a on it i think it looks a great device i must confess i've got a 5k screen i'm talking to you on it now it's a perfect resolution for me i think 5k is really nice everything looks crisp but you got plenty of space to play with so i think it looks good and fair play to dow they haven't made it look too ugly it's quite a minimal screen which is what you want and Dow do make some great screens yeah this is pretty much everything i want in a screen if it was 240 hertz i think it would be absolutely perfect and the price could always be a little bit cheaper it's two thousand four hundred dollars but i think this is a really compelling product i think it's got you know if i was looking to buy a screen today this would be on a very short list i completely agree with that i think this would be way up there because it's really good and it's got hdmi 2.1 on it display port 1.4 so it's got really good spec on there yeah 100 this would be up the list for me and you missed something that it does that your apple studio display doesn't do without spending a bit more money i can adjust the height it's got a tilt height and swivel adjustable stand built in the box all screens should have that by default i don't applaud apple for their decision and I'll go back and I'll die on this box. The iMac was a worse computer when they took away the ability to make it go up and down as well as, you know, tilt. Agreed. It yeah. should not be an optional extra. Like, they've got the tech. Just build it in. Yeah. It doesn't need to look super cool. Fair enough, build a stable stand so it doesn't wobble like most PC monitors do. But it's it's key. It's table stakes at this point, Apple. Come on. Up and down. Up and down. Agreed. And then, then if you're talking about the iMac, you've seen Samsung have done one very similar in aesthetic to the iMac. Yeah, and this isn't new for them. Their last smart monitor, M7s, they're, they're good with a version number, Samsung, had a very similar look to this. But this, again, it's only 4K, unfortunately, I think is a really nice looking product. It is a good looking product and it's a smart TV as well, but it is only, you know, it's only 60 hertz refresh. It's not obviously got all the KVM piece in it, but it is pretty neat. I mean, and it's about $700, give or take. So they obviously hit a very different price point and it's 32 inch, so probably a great little screen. I would mind something like this as like a bedroom TV. You know, that, that's about the right size for what I was looking for because when you try and get a 4K small TV, they're really hard to come by. 
So it is nice to see actually somebody doing a small 4K TV. And AirPlay 2 compatible as well without having to plug anything else into it. Yeah, that is good. It's very good. So this wouldn't be on my shortlist for my own screens, but I still think it's a really compelling monitor at a reasonable price. You know, we are getting a good quality 4K screen. Samsung panels are very good. I'd have no hesitation if somebody was looking for just a decent 4K screen that could double as a TV. I think it's a good shout. Completely agree. Moving on, we have some... Were we talking about Belkin? No, we were talking about Griffin, weren't we? Belkin Belkin have made a lot of Apple accessories. In fact, I think my little monitor clip-on thing for continuity camera is and even the one i've got now is a belkin stand good products this is a really weird one though this is a an apple dock that also supports auto tracking so it will track you around the room with your iphone not just with a the continuity cam i can't remember what it's called screen thing that the camera the the cameras and the phones do center center stage stage. center stage center stage right i sorry i was pausing because i was couldn't remember the name of it So I let you introduce this one because I was like, I don't know what to say about this. It's an auto tracking stand. It costs $179.99 in dollars. I don't know what I'm going to use this for. Because surely Apple have solved this because the the cameras do like a a pan and scan to find you in essence and track you. Unless, as they're demonstrating in the picture on the link, you're going to be dancing in front of it. Uh, I am not. But it does 360 degrees of movement tracking. I mean, I, I don't... I just don't know what this is going to do. But Apple have got a whole dock API thing that will work with it. It, So have Apple got something that they haven't told us yet that this is going to do? You know, is there a use case that they've identified? Because it just seems odd that they've built an API. This has come out, but there doesn't seem a natural reason to use this. I don't know if I'm missing something. You are missing something. You're not a TikToker. Uh, Well, well, I don't even know what TikTok is. I do know what TikTok is. I've never been on TikTok. Yeah, but that's what this is for. It's for people to do, do those little videos. They struggle to get it mounted. They, struggle, they want to be a bit more dynamic by walking around the room or doing something with it. This will enable them to do that. So I kind of get it. I have don't really understand TikTok myself, but my, my children are absolutely nuts on it. And they get a lot of their information from TikTok. And one of them has been TikTok famous briefly for, for, for one video that she published. So I kind of get why, you know, People would want these kinds of features in the same way you and I want to use continuity camera when it works, you know, and have a nice stable mount for our phones and all the rest of it. That, but for a little more flexibility, I kind of understand that. And well done Apple for building it and well done for uh, for Belkin for bringing it out. I don't even think it's that ridiculous a price given the cost of just some docks. Yeah, okay. I'm clearly missing something. It's just, it's not not an accessory for me, I guess. But maybe if I was into it, maybe I'd be biting their arm off for it. We are going to talk about another one. Do you want to tell us about the Wything Beam O 4-in-1 Disruptive Multiscope? I usually quite like, I call it Withins. I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly or whether you were. But I've got one of their smart scales. I think it's a really nice device. And if you get on at New Year's Day, wishes you a happy New Year. So there you go. That's, that's my top tip. Hang on, hang on. You jumped on the scale on New Year's Day. Well, you need to know where you're starting from. But 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 I've got so many questions. That that's a real kind of worms. That you do not want to know how you're getting on over Christmas and New Year. Surely it's only going to be bad. Well, yeah, because if you weigh yourself on New Year's Day, you know it can only get better from here in because you know you've, you've had a week and a bit of gluttony, or you're starting the New Year off even more depressed than you were. Uh, I roughly knew what it was going to be. I knew I knew I'd had a good time, so um, I was all right with it. But anyway, how, if you don't get on on New Year's Day, how do you know your scale says Happy New Year to you? 
again, I, I think this could be a rat hole which will never come out. My my, I'm doing dry January is my thing. So I've got a whole week dry January go me. I don't think I'm an alcoholic. This hasn't been particularly uh, hard, listeners, honestly. But it's you know I think it's worth putting out there that you've got to sacrifice things sometimes. Yeah, I've not been doing dry January. I should probably text you on January the first whilst I was having my beer, um, as I did a few of my other friends to wish them well with their dry Januaries. As you stood on your scale, uh, no, that was I did have you know ten hours between those two events, but I just thought fair play to Withins. What a nice little feature they've added in, um, a bit of whimsy as it as you were of a happy new year, and I think it did some fireworks on a very little pixely screen. I just thought it was a nice bit of whimsy. Equally, my car does something similar. It wished me happy Christmas. There's a little video inside my car when I got into it. There's a surprise view. And it did the same for New Year. There you go. My Tesla did offer on New Year's Eve to say, would you like me to play a lights show at midnight? <laughs> Who's in their Tesla at midnight? Oh, is it just oh, it's know, parked up no, outside? It's parked up. It goes off in the street. Right, okay. Uh, I've never seen that. This isn't telling us about the Beam Zero transformative multi-scope device, Chris. I'm not sure I'm going to be the best person to explain this, but this is a four-in-one device. What can you use this for? What, taking your temperature? So it does. Temperature, heart rate, ECG, one-lead ECG, so similar to an Apple Watch. Cardiac sounds, SpO2, oxygen saturation levels. Respiratory sounds also looks out for atrial fibrillation, heart murmurs, lung wheezing, and desaturation. Well... No, that's not a surprise if that's the kind of things it's monitoring. So basically, it's an Apple Watch you can hold up to your head, <laughs> is, is, is my takeaway from this. So of these things you've just listed, which ones does the Apple Watch already do? Can, can the Apple Watch do your temperature? I think it can in more recent ones, can't it? A fairly rubbish temperature, though. It's a peripheral temperature, and you and I have never got it to work. But yeah, technically, it can do a temperature. It absolutely does heart rate. It does do a one-lead ECG. If you hold your finger up to the crown on more recent Apple devices, it'll do a one-lead ECG. That's distinct from Americans would call this an EKG, a 12-lead EKG, EKG, with which you can diagnose more serious cardiac conditions. But a one-lead ECG is good enough. Cardiac sounds an Apple Watch does not do. It does not listen for that. That, that's you know I'm not sure how much stuff you're going to get from that blood oxygen levels it does do you've got SpO2 sensor and respiratory sounds obviously not and then it but the Apple Watch just going to the other list it does do artery, arterial fibrillation I don't know if I pronounce it atrial fibrillation oh it's close it does do that the Apple Watch it does AF call it AF that, that'll make life easier for you AF and it does desaturation but it doesn't do the sound based things it doesn't do heart murmurs or lung wheezing but you know what the Apple Watch does I think about 6 out of 10 and this does an extra 4 things on top of but it's just quite interesting actually how your Apple Watch does a lot of that already and look, obviously the picture in the article shows you using this on, on a miner who wouldn't have an Apple Watch but just super interesting how the Apple Watch does 6 out of the, the 10 things already it's, it's just quite interesting I think that the Apple Watch is pretty far advanced yeah it's pretty good uh, it's going to be 249.95 dollars it's still to be passed by the fda in america and uh, the various other regulators around the world i find the picture quite creepy the child looks like they might have some sort of cobweb growing through their hair uh, uh which is a bit of a worry really i'm not surprised you're taking their temperature really if they're sort of frozen in time and they've had time for cobwebs to grow on them but maybe it's even computer generated i'm not sure it looks like something out of a horror film if i'm honest but uh, yeah, maybe, maybe that's just me so if you're the model, if you were the, if you're that kid, I apologise for us taking the mickey out of you slightly, but that's slightly worrying. Anyway, have a look at the nine to five thing. I think in general, putting devices like this in consumers' hands is a good thing. More information for doctors, as long as you can get it out of the system, is useful. So yeah, fine. 
intermittently capturing an ECG with this device I find a bit odd. How is it going to distinguish between how many users are on it? So if mum's doing it or the kid's doing it or dad's doing it, do you all sign into the app in a different way? There's a lot of complexity that would have to come out for this. But I think it's interesting that this kind of technology is becoming far more in consumers' hands than it ever used to be. Yeah, it looks a great device and it looks a good price point and Withins make great stuff. So I think it looks a great device. It'll be interesting to see when it lands, assuming it gets passes or I can't remember what the tests are called, apologies, the ratification side of it. All, all the regulators that, that look out for these medical, because it's a medical device once it's starting that in the same way the Apple Watch is. Yeah. Moving on, another thing that I'm interested in, although less so since I've discovered Matter to be such a disaster, is Philips have announced a new door lock that will do PAM scanning. This is better, I think, than fingerprint recognition because it's not depending on your hands being particularly clean or something like that. I believe in Singapore they've pioneered this because they have lots of migrant and itinerant workers who want to come in out of buildings. They've quite often got manual labour jobs where their hands aren't clean and they do vein scanning of the palms rather than what's going on with the fingerprints. This is just an interesting looking device. It's going to be $359.99. It includes a dead bolt so you can put it on your door and have secure uh, entry to your house. I don't think this is a bad product, really. I presume it'll integrate with Hue in some way, shape, manner, or form. But yeah, I'm quite interested in this one. Yeah, I'm really after a door lock from a, from a shed where I record. I still haven't found one. I want a smart lock that I can unlock it with my phone. I keep looking, but I'm still not convinced. And they don't seem widely available here in the UK. It'd be curious to see whether this comes out. Something like this would be ideal for me. I don't really want the palm thing, though, or the thumbprint. I just want to use my phone to unlock it. You know, use the home key thing, like with my car. I love it with my car. I want that on my on my shed, please. I think there is one you can get. I forget the name of it. It's a German company to make it that, that works in the same sort of way. And I think it's a more or less straight swap replacement because European locks aren't that different from ours in the UK for lots of reasons. All of that may drift for the future. But yeah, there are a few. But I just like to see new things like this coming to market, really, that are sort of expanding that. Yeah, no, it's good to see the space is still moving forwards. Yep. And then our last thing, which actually dropped just after our show last week, didn't it? And it's a Kickstarter for a keyboard for your iPhone. I thought this looked kind of cool, and I'm amazed we've not seen more of these. Because obviously when the iPhone came out, people were like, it's got no keyboard, where's my BlackBerry? I did rewatch the BlackBerry film, fantastic. And then this is, it's called Clicks. So it's, it's in essence a case, the one in the picture is yellow, and you slot your phone into it, and it, I, you can either get a Lightning one or a USB-C one. And so it, it plugs into the port on the bottom of your, your phone. And so it acts as a physical keyboard, not a Bluetooth keyboard with lag and needs separate charging. And then you can then plug the, the keyboard case into the wall to power it up and to charge your iPhone. So it's like a pass-through. I think it actually looks kind of cool. And like I said, I can't believe we haven't seen more of these because I could see people really going for it. And the one benefit it's got is obviously is when you're in an app and you're sending a text message or writing an email, the keyboard doesn't cover half the screen because you've got, got that keyboard at the bottom. Um, and they're doing it all, all various sizes. You can get it for the 14 Pro, Pro Max, and you can obviously get it with Lightning or with USB-C. So, it, you know, they've already got four different SKUs out there already. But I think it looks kind of cool. What do you think? Yeah, my initial thought was, well, that's rubbish. I've got a really good software keyboard on my iPhone, as as was the word of Jobs. The But at the same time, I used to really quite like keyboards. I was a big fan of the PAM PDAs. In fact, I bought a, an Android phone called a Gemini a few years ago that sort of split open and was half of a, sorry, not PAM, Scion PDAs. That was half of a Scion keyboard as well as the screen. So I'm not completely adverse to having an actual keyboard. And the BlackBerry keyboards work very well. 
this is an interesting thing that obviously Apple has enabled through Lightning and USB-C more recently to have direct input from, from keyboards, thanks in large to the iPad, I'm sure. But this actually even supports all the keyboard shortcuts like Command-H to go home and all that kind of stuff within the keyboard too. There was a brief attempt to get these up and running back in the day, but they covered the home button on the devices. This now isn't an issue. We don't have home buttons. And with Face ID, you don't have any sort of any problems with authentication or anything either. So I actually think this might have a chance. My, I've got two concerns. One is one of the colors is called London Sky and it's the gray one. I'm not sure that's the cleverest thing in the world. It's like when Range Rover called one of their cars Stornaway Gray and the people in Orkney got very, very upset about that. So, so there's something in that. And the other thing is, man, it's going to make for a long device. It's not going to fit in your pocket very well. I don't disagree with that. I've got the smaller iPhone. I was just looking for my phone, but obviously I'm using it as my camera. I don't disagree with that statement. It will be long. But do you know what? If I was having a day in London and I knew I was going to do a lot of email and stuff, I probably would want one of these to trial out. I'd, I'd be super interested. You know, if you're having a day where you're going to be texting quite a bit on Teams, writing emails, I, I could see me trying one of these out, if I'm honest. You've said a few times your phone becomes your primary device. So I think this makes sense for you. Yeah, especially for me, because I'm using my iPad all the time, and my iPad is just like my phone, so it's very easy for me to go between the two, because I know how all the apps operate. I can get so much more done on my phone since I've been full-time on my iPad, because I've just got used to working that way. So I'm a little interested in it, which I never thought I would be. Yeah, I think it's interesting. I think you should take one for the team and put in a pre-order. The only problem I have is you just know it wouldn't work a year from now when you buy a new iPhone because it would be the wrong size. Yeah, well, but if you change your phone every two years, it's not that big a deal. I've got form. You occasionally keep your phone for more than a year. Yeah, occasionally, and I probably should have done this year, but for some reason I didn't. Anyway, I think it looks super cool, and it's nice to see something in this space. I agree. Fair enough. Anything else in main show? No, let's get on with it. Let's get on with it. So my app of the week is ZapMap. If you've got an EV uh, and you're worried about charging at any point, then ZapMap should definitely be something you have on your phone. There is a website as well. It's quite useful, but it becomes most useful when you're trying to find chargers near you. You can filter within it for uh, if you want by a particular speed of charging or a particular cable connection. You can even go and look and see if this charger is in use or it was reported broken. It has been very useful for me, even as a Tesla owner from time to time, to know what's going on uh, for a location I'm going to, if there isn't a supercharger nearby or something like that, or I want to get a little bit faster than what I've got, or even what rates are around the place. I think it's a terrific app. It's very well written. It's it's kept super up to date. Even things that, you know, BP Pulse uh, chargers and things at garages, you'll have a, this was out of order recently. It's a terrific app. I don't know, you have an EV as well. Have you had a chance to use it? Yeah, I don't charge very much away from the house, so I probably have less less need than yourself. So I generally don't don't have to worry about this. I'm, I normally just charge at my office and more at my house. So I'm, no, I've not used it. Well, there you go. There's a little bit of homework for you. You should download ZapMap and have a look and see what's around you. And say you were going to go on an oceanal trip to to Wales to see your old friend Rod then you could see what chargers were around here when you got here and all that kind of stuff. It's really useful. Maybe another week I'll recommend a better route planner, which is sort of similar, but but has a sort of different function of it. This is more for just seeing what's around you if you are planning a journey. Uh, but it's a really good app. Okay, I'll check it out. Check it out. Thing of the week. 
Uh, so I put down my Apple Studio display. This was before we started recording this podcast and the camera stopped working because I've been using it this week. And I said to you at the top of the show, I've been using it with Teams in the web browser on my iPad and I could finally use the camera on the screen. And I was just really enjoying the, the screen, the 5K of it. I just love this thing. I know it's got its flaws. It's not perfect. It's expensive. It doesn't high adjust. But it's just a great quality panel, if not a little overpriced. And whilst the camera isn't fantastic, I've been getting a lot of use out of it this week and just generally really enjoying it. And it just it makes me happy when I come into my shed to use it rather than when I'm in my office at work and I've got a not very nice screen in comparison. So uh, that was just my shout out to the studio display. And I hope they do a follow up model that does address some of the shortcomings of it because i would probably buy it and keep this and move it to another room in the house to use on a, on a different setup but it's just fantastic even though it's pricey as i say it is pricey and i think my my attention would be drawn by the dell one we were just talking about but you can't beat the it just works thing sometimes my, my, most of the time it's had a good good history so there you go that was that was my thing of the week Fair enough. I think we can call that a show, Chris. Yeah, I think so. So look, if anybody wants to get into contact with us, Rod is at g5maniac at mastodon.scot. I'm at underscore cjp at mastodon.social. Or you can drop us an email at wakefromsleep at protonmail.com. Talk to you next week, Chris. Cheers, Rod. <laughs> <laughs>